I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The truth is the most convincing story that maps onto reality, and that's why the central narrative is falling apart. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. You must see the central narrative that it is. We are Americans. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Wednesday, October 5th, 2022, the 623rd day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and hello to all of you listening to the podcast on the day of its release. The only way to do that is by becoming a paid subscriber at I'mYourModerator.Substack.com. You can do so for as low as $50 a year or $5 a month. You will be supporting me and the work I do and this show as it expands. And if you can't or you don't want to, it'll be available on a wide range of platforms just two days later for free. All I ask is that you share it with your friends. Last night, I had dinner with some friends of mine, a couple who were actually friends with my parents and have been for decades. These are people who have known me since I was a teenager, a kid. And we get together and visit every six weeks, every couple of months. And we talk about politics and the events of the world. The husband actually is a regular listener to this show. So hello to him. And we were briefly discussing 
my approach to this show and how hard it is to do what I do the way I do it and simultaneously appeal to normies. And I have had a lot of feedback from people very close to me, people whose opinions I respect a great deal over the last couple of years who continually express how hard it is for them to be able to hand my show off to someone they're trying to wake up because those people will just reject it out of hand because they're hearing a whole bunch of stuff they have that sounds extreme or hyperbolic or over the top. And they just simply can't connect because they don't have a lot of the background knowledge that would be required to just start listening to my show as someone who's generally asleep and just quickly wake up and understand that I actually might know what I'm talking about. And as one of my listeners, you have probably thought this yourself. If you have tried to share my show with people, you know, who just don't seem to understand what's going on in the world at all. And by the way, I'm not saying I'm the expert on knowing what's going on in the world. I pay a lot of attention from the moment I get up to the moment I go to sleep and I try to tell the truth about what I'm seeing. I hope that's valuable to my listeners and that they get something out of it. But I do that fully understanding that my audience is ultimately limited because I cannot appeal to normies who don't know anything about the stuff I'm discussing. And while it would be awfully nice if it was more accessible, that would be a conscious choice I would have to make to either take chunks of my show and set them aside just to re-explain base level knowledge that I'm sure my listeners already understand, or I can substantially scale back the things I say and the ways I say them in order to provide less instances of statements that I know people are going to bump up against. And the reason I don't do that is because I want to speak as directly as I can about what I see and about what I think is going on. I've discussed, for instance, multiple times, I've spent multiple shows, multiple hours in the last year even, substantiating my claim that what we face is global communism. And the people who are supporting that agenda and the politicians who represent that agenda and push that agenda forward are in fact communists, whether or not they identify that way. Now, that's a tough statement for those people to accept about themselves because they're not generally going to reflect and come to the conclusion, oh, yeah, I am a communist. But that doesn't change the underlying reality of what it is they're supporting, how they're supporting it and why they're supporting it. You don't agree with my opinion. That's one thing. That's fine. But I'm going to keep saying it because I believe it's true. And I believe that during the time I've been saying it, the information that has been added continues to convince me that I was correct back then when I first began to identify this problem as global communism. And again, I'm not saying I'm the first one to ever say it, although I was two years ahead on saying that compared to a lot of the people who are in the mainstream or around the mainstream. And I think it was important and valuable that I took that approach because it actually does matter that we are describing things correctly as soon as we observe what's really going on. 
Planting the seeds of these ideas in people's minds matters so that when they see events take place in the real world, they already have that framework, that construct that allows them to identify these things rather than seeing everything that comes up as totally distinct and separate from everything else. If I say we are approaching global communism, this is what it's going to look like. And then people begin seeing stories about central bank digital currencies, for instance. I think it's valuable that they can identify that as part of the global communist agenda rather than seeing it as some new technological advancement that will just make life easier because that's how normies see that. And I brought up an example of something that a lot of people just completely missed last year, but I take as base level knowledge and speak freely about without going through and backing it up. And I do this a lot because it's just what's necessitated by the way I do my show. But the example I used was that last year on January 6th, 2021, in the midst of all the chaos surrounding the very violent insurrection, a huge dump of files from the FBI vault about Nancy Pelosi's father were released, and they were about his mafia connections, the family's corruption, his relationship with the Communist Party of America. And so when I talk about Nancy Pelosi being hugely corrupt and coming from a history of corruption and communism, this is what I'm talking about. But if you were hearing my show for the first time and I mentioned all that, people would think I'm crazy because virtually everybody missed this story. My intention is not to be hyperbolic. When I make a claim like that, I'm simply saying it because it's true and it's the sort of thing people could find out to be true if they went and researched my claim rather than assuming I was being hyperbolic. This is from just the news. This is February 23rd, 2021. Amid Capitol riot, FBI released files from Kennedy era investigation into Nancy Pelosi's father. So if you'll indulge me for just a moment, let's have a little flashback and remember exactly what this was. While Washington, D.C. was riveted January 6th on events at the U.S. Capitol, the FBI quietly released a trove of files from an urgent yet seemingly controlled investigation 60 years ago into Nancy Pelosi's father. The files reveal the results of an intense two-month investigation into Thomas D'Alessandro Jr., a Maryland politician who served in a long career as a member of Congress and mayor of Baltimore. John F. Kennedy's White House ordered the investigation after JFK planned to appoint D'Alessandro to a government post. A routine FBI name check revealed allegations against D'Alessandro according to a February 6th, 1961 teletype from FBI director. The director at the time was J. Edgar Hoover. The urgent teletype seemed to signal the goal of ensuring that D'Alessandro would be appointed to a government watchdog board that reviewed defense contracts. The White House has requested that we proceed with a special inquiry investigation, but that if substantial derogatory information were developed, we should report this and discontinue any further inquiries because substantiation of any of the allegations would eliminate Mr. D'Alessandro. The FBI director wrote in the teletype that is located on page 19 of the trove. A sign immediately, Hoover wrote 
instructing the Baltimore and Washington field offices to afford continuous attention to the investigation. In sometimes illegible and heavily redacted reproductions, the 248-page collection, and I believe that's a typo, the collection is 284 pages, shows that FBI agents were tasked with running down rumors and facts surrounding their man. There have been allegations that D'Alessandro has associated with the Baltimore criminal element and redacted and the son, Franklin Roosevelt D'Alessandro, had been arrested for rape, an agent wrote on page 14 of the Trove. The allegations may have been rumor, the agent noted. Elsewhere in the Trove, agents wrote about the son, who was arrested and acquitted on charges that saw others convicted of raping two young girls aged 11 and 13. The young D'Alessandro, who died in 2007, also was tried and acquitted of perjury in relation to that case. That's Nancy Pelosi's brother. In the 1961 inquiry into the senior D'Alessandro, the G-men delved decades into their subjects past. In 1945, it was alleged that one Charles F. Camerata had been able to get away with all sorts of criminal activities in Baltimore, Maryland, and had operated almost unmolested due to his friendship with and the protection of Congressman D'Alessandro. One unnamed agent wrote in a January 30th, 1961 memo to the White House. That's Nancy Pelosi's father. In the same memo, which begins on page 38 of the collection, the agent summarizes allegations that a powerful D'Alessandro took payoffs from applicants to the police force and that he helped to hinder the investigation and prosecution of crimes. Elsewhere, the memo cites a confidential source who has furnished reliable information in the past, reporting that D'Alessandro appeared on stage at a 1943 rally for the National Council of American Soviet Friendship which was formed in 1943 by the Communist Party USA as a Soviet front group, according to the FBI. The following year, the memo notes, D'Alessandro was reported as the main speaker at an event for the International Workers Order, an insurance organization placed on a list of subversive organizations by the U.S. Attorney General in 1947 and later disbanded by order of the New York State Insurance Department for being too closely aligned with the Communist Party in violation of regulations prohibiting political activity in the industry. In a series of endorsements commencing on page 129 of the Trove, a phalanx of associates, judges, politicians, friends and acquaintances described D'Alessandro in glowing terms. He was upright, they said, or loyal, honest and a devoted family man. Two acquaintances hedged their praise. In an undated memo, one agent wrote, Another individual stated he would be hesitant in recommending D'Alessandro for any office where he would be in a position to award contracts without first having the approval of another supervisor. Following the investigation, the Senate confirmed D'Alessandro for the contract oversight position. He was sworn into office on March 28, 1961, while his wife, along with JFK and a young Nancy, looked on. D'Alessandro served on the renegotiation board, which later was disbanded. In 1966, Mildred Stiegel, who at the time was an assistant to President Lyndon Baines Johnson, contacted the FBI and asked them to search their files for material on D'Alessandro. 
the resulting FBI memo dated September 21st, 1966, and reproduced on page 16 of the Trove, did not explain why Stiegel wanted the information. The FBI did not disclose why the entire collection was released on January 6th and did not immediately respond to just the news. Thomas D'Alessandro died in 1987 at age 84. Speaker Pelosi did not respond to questions from just the news. And of course, you can research for yourselves and go much further in if you want about Thomas D'Alessandro's connections to the mob, to organized crime in Baltimore, to the Communist Party and various levels of his corruption. This is all stuff you can find on the Internet. This research has been done by people. Just don't use Google. Don't use DuckDuckGo and don't use Quant. Don't use any of the search engines where you know the results are restricted and manipulated. Jabiru is better. That's virtualmirage.org. It's better. It's not perfect. Freespoke.com has been great. But you can go in and find this information for yourself. I try to make it very clear when I'm stating my opinions on things or speculating. But if I say something like Nancy Pelosi is a communist and comes from a family of communists and a family of corruption. I'm not just making that up, I'm not saying it out of nowhere. Like when I talk about how Joe Biden has a 50 year career of political corruption, you can go back and read his history in Delaware and the quote unquote work he's done for the benefit of corporations headquartered in Delaware, like the credit card companies. You can go back and read about Joe Biden's history with college loans. There is a history of corruption for all of these people. They would all be in prison if it weren't for the political power that keeps them in office. The same power that keeps them in office is the power that keeps them out of prison. They are not subject to the same system of laws as everyone else. If they were, they would not be in public life at all. They would have been put away decades ago. Here's the little snippet on Nancy Pelosi's brother. And this comes from the FBI vault release from January 6, 2021. That's when this came out amid all the chaos of the very violent insurrection. During the summer of 1953, Mayor D'Alessandro's son, Franklin Roosevelt D'Alessandro, age 20, was one of 14 youths charged with having committed rape or perverted practices on two girls, aged 11 and 13, during July of that year. It was reported that Franklin Roosevelt D'Alessandro was the only one of 12 of those tried at the time who was successful in obtaining an acquittal. Following this acquittal, a Baltimore, Maryland grand jury indicted Franklin Roosevelt D'Alessandro on charges of having committed perjury in that he had lied during the aforementioned trial on charges of rape. In addition, James H. Pollock, Baltimore City political boss, was reportedly also indicted on the charge of obstruction of justice in that he had attempted to influence testimony of several of the youthful defendants who had been tried with Franklin Roosevelt D'Alessandro. It was reported that Franklin Roosevelt D'Alessandro was tried on the above charge of perjury at Salisbury, Maryland during 1954 following a change of venue and was found not guilty. So he's the only one out of 14 people who was acquitted for gang rape. Then he was tried for perjury 
for how he represented himself in that trial. The venue was changed and then he was found not guilty. So I guess the whole story is just made up. Because in the normie mind, in the normie interpretation, the fact that he wasn't convicted means he didn't commit the crime. There could be no other answer. And it's a conspiracy theory to suggest otherwise. Now, if you don't know this, you might think that all these attacks against Nancy Pelosi are just political in nature. People are just making stuff up to make Nancy Pelosi sound bad. But that's not it at all. Nancy Pelosi is actually bad. The apple didn't fall far from the tree. And now Nancy's apple is just another tree of corruption. That includes her husband and his stock deals and his drunk driving and who knows what else. And her son and her son's corrupt business dealings, of which there are a great many and has been widely reported. And I've talked about it on the podcast. So I say all of this because I want people to understand my approach and why I do this the way I do it. I understand that I am limiting my audience at this point in time, but I don't believe that this will be a problem in the future. And it is my belief, which I could be wrong about, that I am attempting to serve a higher good, which is speaking the truth as I see it and as I can discern it as soon as I am able to discern it. Because I've talked many times about the timeline of information and how important it is to actually be as far ahead of the mainstream narrative as I can be so that when situations arise, they're not surprising rather than reacting to things that have already happened. We can see them coming in the distance and react to the potential of those events. And in some cases prevent them from happening by increasing public awareness and action. So let's get into some current news and I guess on the show this week, this is pick on New York Times week because I rarely go to them repeatedly, but they are having a big and very, very bad week. I didn't even mention yesterday, by the way, that the New York Times tweeted out a picture of a member of the Azov Battalion returning home to his wife. The man has a huge smile on his face and apparently no visible Nazi tattoos, which is an accomplishment for uh, Azov. But the New York Times Post says commanders of Ukraine's celebrated Azov battalion have held an emotional reunion with their families in Turkey, Ukrainian officials said, honoring the fighters released from Russian confinement last month. So the New York Times is celebrating the release of a purported prisoner of war, despite the fact that that prisoner of war is a member of an irrefutably neo-Nazi or Nazi battalion that's part of Ukraine's military. And that is yet another one of the claims that I will make just flat out, just say it directly, that might sound extreme or hyperbolic to a new listener, but is in fact really well supported, including in the mainstream. The Washington Post has covered Nazis in the Ukrainian ranks, the Azov Battalion in particular. 
Left wing magazines like Jacobin have done write ups about how the CIA trained this Nazi battalion. That's all real stuff. But in the normie perception, among all of these people who are very supportive of the comedic actor in Ukraine, they know he can do no wrong and he's Jewish, so he couldn't possibly have a Nazi battalion in his army. They have all their little Ukrainian flags in their Twitter bios. They see a headline like this in the New York Times and this poor prisoner of war smiling as he hugs his wife and they think none of this stuff can be true. There's no way Azov could actually be a Nazi battalion or the New York Times wouldn't tweet this out. They wouldn't be celebrating his release and his return home to his wife. They lack the background knowledge and they think that the claim is so extreme that it couldn't possibly be true. But the claim is true and it's not extreme. The fact that it's true means it cannot be extreme. It's only true. But let's see what else the New York Times has gotten up to this week. And my friend, Patriots Are In Control, found this yesterday and posted it. He said these articles were published a day apart about the same company written by the same journalist. The New York Times may just be the biggest laughingstock in all of fake news. And he's right. On October 3rd, 2022, that's Monday, a writer at the New York Times named Stuart A. Thompson wrote an article with the headline, How a Tiny Elections Company Became a Conspiracy Theory Target. And I'm going to read just the beginning of this article. The subheadline is, Election deniers catapulted a Michigan firm with just 21 U.S. employees to the center of unfounded voter fraud claims, exposing it to vicious threats. And even in this framing, we have begun the ridiculousness of this article, as if somehow the firm having just 21 U.S. employees says anything about their ability to be involved in an election fraud scheme. But here we go. At an invitation-only conference in August at a secret location southeast of Phoenix, a group of election deniers unspooled a new conspiracy theory about the 2020 presidential outcome. And hey, he's talking about the pit. I was there. Apparently, I'm part of the group of election deniers. Using threadbare evidence or none at all, the group suggested that a small American election software company, Connect, K-O-N-N-E-C-H, had secret ties to the Chinese Communist Party and had given the Chinese government backdoor access to personal data about two million poll workers in the United States, according to online accounts from several people at the conference. In the ensuing weeks, the conspiracy theory grew as it shot around the Internet. To believers, the claims showed how China had gained near complete control of America's elections. Some shared LinkedIn pages for Connect employees who have Chinese backgrounds and sent threatening emails to the company and its chief executive who was born in China. It's racist. Might want to book flights back to Wuhan before we hang you until dead. One person wrote in an email to the company, and I suppose that we should just believe that happened and that it was ooh, a very, very bad Trump supporter and election denier. Are they implying it was someone at the pit? Maybe they are, but they're not saying it. And so they go on and on about this poor, innocent Chinese man 
They have a dark photograph of him up at the beginning, a very artistic photo. This poor Chinese man just trying to run a software company. And now he's being targeted by election deniers, making baseless claims on threadbare evidence. And it's a pretty standard puff piece, making sure that the New York Times audience knows there's absolutely nothing to see here. Well, that was Monday. And on Tuesday, things changed. This is another article by the same writer, Stuart A. Thompson. This has a cropped version of the same photograph. And the headline here is election software executive arrested on suspicion of theft. The executive Eugene Yu and his firm Connect have been a focus of attention among election deniers. The top executive of an elections technology company that has been the focus of attention among election deniers was arrested by Los Angeles County officials in connection with an investigation into the possible theft of personal information about poll workers, the county said on Tuesday. That is the claim that one day before this same writer at the New York Times said was baseless, a conspiracy theory based on threadbare evidence. Eugene Yu, the founder and chief executive of Connect, the technology company, was taken into custody on suspicion of theft. The Los Angeles County District Attorney, George Gascon, said in a statement, Connect, which is based in Michigan, developed software to manage election logistics like scheduling poll workers. Los Angeles County is among its customers. The company has been accused by groups challenging the validity of the 2020 presidential election with storing information about poll workers on servers in China. The company has repeatedly denied keeping data outside the United States, including in recent statements to The New York Times. But that's not the entirety of the claim. The New York Times writer in that sentence is creating a very specific claim and denying that specific claim and attempting to make it seem like the entire claim is denied and that there's absolutely nothing to it. Mr. Gascon's office said its investigators had found data stored in China. Holding the data there would violate Connect's contract with the county. The county released few other details about its investigation. But it said in its statement that the charges related only to data about poll workers and that, quote, the alleged conduct had no impact on the tabulation of votes and did not alter election results. And that's, again, not what was claimed. The claim is that poll workers can be and have been manipulated to go along with a corrupt system of election theft and that their personal data stored on Chinese servers was used to target them. That's the claim. And that claim is true, as has been reported by the other election deniers who were with me at the pit in late August. This has been extremely well reported by people in my broader community. And they have done excellent work on it. I was one of the first people to say after leaving the pit that the pit actually was a big deal and that the information that came out about this company presented a whole new piece of the election manipulation apparatus. 
And I also said it was extremely important that this happened at the pit because what this has done is give a five or six week lead time on reporting this story. If the news of this arrest came out yesterday and no one in alternative media had known the background of this story, it probably would have come up. Maybe people would have talked about it for a day or two, and then it would have disappeared. Instead, all of that background research has been done. This story has been extremely well reported, particularly by Kanakoa the Great. And if you're not familiar with him, he does really, really excellent work. Kanakoa.substack.com. K-A-N-E-K-O-A. So what the pit was able to pull off was a flip of the normal process of these things. People on our side of the football were reporting this story far in advance of the mainstream media attempting to do what they can to cover it up. And it's worth noting how odd it is that this story was reported. The puff piece was written a day before this man's arrest by the New York Times. Did they have a heads up on that? Why are they running cover for a Chinese born man with an American technology company that is clearly involved in the manipulation of election workers by using their personally identifying information? Why does the paper of record feel it's their duty to provide cover for this man? What are they really covering up? What is the purpose of this hit piece? How did it come out just one day before he was arrested? And what does this say about the New York Times? This is so blatant. Two days in a row, this one writer wrote stories that completely contradict one another. Again, these are the headlines from Monday. How a tiny elections company became a conspiracy theory target. Same writer, same outlet. One day later, election software executive arrested on suspicion of theft. On Monday, and for the six weeks prior, this was a conspiracy theory. On Tuesday, it's absolutely real and the man is under arrest. This is why it matters that information comes out earlier than the media wants it to. That is the goal. The way to wake people up is by showing them what's coming and then allowing them to see it. These aren't conspiracy theories, and we're not predicting the future. We're simply messing with the timeline of information that the central narrative requires. And by doing that, you can remove the power of the central narrative. That's what the game is about. And now it seems like we're set up for the central narrative to suffer a much larger collapse. With the Elon Musk news we discussed yesterday, the fact that he is now intending to buy Twitter and that the transaction may close in the next few days, blue anon, blue checkmark Twitter is having an absolute meltdown over all of this. Liz Crokin highlighted this yesterday. It's the NBC News reporter Ben Collins. In his bio on NBC News, It is said that Ben Collins covers disinformation, extremism, and the internet for NBC News. This is what he spent the afternoon yesterday tweeting about. For those of you asking, yes, I do think this site can and will change pretty dramatically if Musk gets full control over it. No, there is no immediate replacement. 
If it gets done early enough based on the people he's aligned with, yes, it could actually affect midterms. What does this look like in the short term? Abandonment of traditional moderation policies, stuff like Pizzagate, pushed by bots and liars, will be protected. Disinfo campaigns will top trending topics and drive news cycles. Authoritarian governments will have a field day. Now, this is a complete and total inversion of reality. Although it's hard to dispute the first part, it's possible that Elon Musk's takeover could have an immediate dramatic effect. That immediate dramatic effect would be the elimination of Twitter's censorship that it has used as a targeted weapon for years now. They have banned dissenting voices from the platform and they will ban and censor and shadow ban anything that disputes the central narrative if it does it in a way that they find dangerous. He's also right that there is no immediate replacement, which I find hilarious. There was no immediate replacement when all of us were banned from social media. We went to Parler initially, many people. And then Parler was banned. Parler was taken down by Amazon Web Services because people theorized and were taken seriously that Parler somehow contributed to the very violent insurrection, an event none of them seemed to understand at all in any sophisticated way. All they know is the central narrative repeated over and over and over again. Parler was actually just taken down to keep people safe. It wasn't so that people would come to find out the truth of the events of January 6th. It wasn't to protect their most important narrative that they still keep spinning here 19 months later. It wasn't for that. It was just to keep people safe. And these people should be supremely concerned if Twitter's censorship just goes away. The censorship is what allows these people to be taken seriously. It's what allows their viewpoints to perpetuate. They propagate disinformation. It goes uncontested because the people who would contest it are all censored. And then they justify the censorship by saying that what the people who are censored were going to post was going to be disinformation. And so what they're left with is a scenario on a platform where they're all able to say absolutely whatever they like about some of the most important events in the world. They are allowed to shape the public understanding of everything that happens, and they want to be able to do that unabated because they can't withstand any challenge to their narrative. Why? Because their narrative is false. Ben Collins is also right that it could affect the midterms. It should affect the midterms. These people talk about democracy and preserving democracy, and they want to exclude half of the public's voice from the conversation. They don't want anyone to know the truth about any of it because they know that once that happens, all of them would be exposed as liars and frauds and their ability to continue to shape the public narrative would disappear almost instantaneously. This is an existential crisis for these people, and I've talked about it at length many times since the Elon Musk purchasing Twitter thing started months ago. I actually love that he pointed out that this would affect the midterms because 
while he is saying that he is also admitting that the censorship affected the 2020 election as well. That admission is inescapable with what he said. If he understands the profound impact that the elimination of censorship would have, then he necessarily must understand the profound impact that the censorship has. It's amusing that he uses the euphemism for censorship, the standard traditional moderation policies. Those are going to be abandoned, which means that American citizens will actually be able to express what they believe to be true and back it up with information. And that information can no longer be moderated off the platform. What are these blue and on journalists going to do? He talks about disinformation like Pizzagate. Is Pizzagate disinformation or is the central narrative about Pizzagate disinformation? It's the second one. And how can you tell? Well, they don't censor that one. He says it's going to be spread by bots and liars. But we know Twitter has an enormous number of bots and we know that those bots push out Ben Collins point of view. And as far as liars go, really? We're talking about people who still believe Trump colluded with Russia to steal the 2016 election. We're talking about people who perpetuated the Stormy Daniels and Michael Avenatti story and all of the other sexual assault stories about Donald Trump. Another one of those was just dropped this week from E. Jean Carroll. We're talking about liars who attacked Brett Kavanaugh and his family. We're talking about people who attacked Nicholas Sandman, the kid in the MAGA hat who the Native American man was drumming in front of, you know, that little white supremacist. Well, he sued the media outlets for defamation in one hundreds of millions of dollars. So the bots benefit them. They are the liars. But that's only true in empirical observable reality. It's not true in the false reality created on Twitter by people like Ben Collins, who are now losing their minds at the fact that free speech might return to that platform. Disinfo campaigns will top trending topics and drive news cycles. Well, Ben, I guess you're going to have to figure out how to deal with that. A normal journalist and an honest person would know that you could simply refute all that disinformation by providing the evidence that supports your position. People are inclined to believe the truth when it is presented to them. That's why our audiences are going up while your entire industry is collapsing. And he finishes off with authoritarian governments will have a field day. Well, hey, Ben, Joe Biden, the illegitimate president in the illegitimate administration, that government, the deep state government, those are the ones doing the censorship. Censorship is one of the first and most obvious signs that an authoritarian regime is in control, but not in the false reality, because everything is inverted in the false reality. And the regime doing the censorship in the false reality is just protecting everyone from an authoritarian government. These people have gone absolutely insane, a total inversion within the false reality. And we may be only a few days away from seeing all of this on full display. And I have to say that will be 
such a glorious moment to witness. Twitter, as it exists right now, is an information weapon being wielded by the global communists in partnership with illegitimate authoritarian governments worldwide. We have discussed on the podcast before how deeply infiltrated Twitter is with former law enforcement, former CIA. These people fill the ranks of Twitter and they go back and forth between Twitter and government. Joe Biden's illegitimate administration has numerous big tech employees employed now at the White House. And let's spend some more time on government propaganda and manipulation of the public narrative, shall we? This is from Judicial Watch yesterday. Judicial Watch uncovers Biden administration propaganda plan to push COVID vaccine. Judicial Watch announced today that it received 249 pages of records from the Department of Health and Human Services, detailing the extensive media plans for a propaganda campaign to push the COVID-19 vaccine. The records were received in response to an August 2021 Freedom of Information Act lawsuit filed after HHS failed to respond to an April 19th, 2021 request for records related to the Biden HHS's COVID-19 Community Corps program. And before we get into it, let's just take note of how ridiculous that is. Judicial Watch requested these records which the Freedom of Information Act allows them to acquire in April of 2021, and they just got them in October of 2022. That is a year and a half. Judicial Watch is asking for all records regarding the application process, all organizations asking to be chosen to participate, all grants, and all communications of representatives of the Department of Health and Human Services regarding the program. The newly released documents include a document titled PEC, Public Education Campaign Plan, April 19th to May 31st, 2021, which includes the following media plans and action items. Major public education projects in April. Vaccine engagement package to all entertainment talent and management agencies. Vaccine engagement package to all media companies and show producers. Outreach to major culture event producers. Outreach with WCTD. Likely we can do this. Brand and engagement ideas to major businesses and associations. Launch community core business chapter. Start celebrity share the mics. So these are specific campaigns and specific groups of entertainment talent, management agencies, media companies, show producers, event producers, events like, for instance, Coachella, or you would imagine the Grammys or the Oscars. This is a taxpayer funded government program to basically reach all of the influencers online who will push out their content through paid partnerships and then event marketing at public events. One would also imagine that they are funding the production of news and television shows if they are pushing out this content as well, I would even go so far as to speculate, and yes, I said speculate, that they are having their narratives literally written into scripted content. And who's paying for all of this? You are. 
And here's some more. And these are bulleted items on these documents. They're not fully explained. POTUS, May 1 through 31. Late night hosts vaccination video. Remember when we saw all of those Stephen Colbert dancing around with like a bunch of trans syringes? That was last September, but it's those sorts of things that they were producing. Additional ideas to be considered. Digital media. Produce HHS question and answer videos featuring local black doctors, black with a capital B, discussing the vaccines, how they work and why the public should get vaccinated. Request that Tom Brady create a video with his parents encouraging vaccination. His parents had COVID last year and he has talked about their tough recovery. Create custom partnerships with the social media platforms with algorithms to hit the audience. Launch Hollywood comedy writers video content. Work with YouTube on an original special about vaccinations targeted to young people, similar to the YouTube's Dear Call of 2020 special. Work with Instagram to produce a series about vaccines for at Instagram, the largest social media account in the world, 387 million followers. Feature young creators doing in-depth pieces about young people's questions. Request a stories highlight on vaccines on at Instagram to stay on the account through 2021. Request major TikTok, Snapchat, and Instagram influencers to create videos of themselves being vaccinated and start a special campaign of funny and or musical videos about being vaccinated to encourage others to create content and post. And of course, we all remember that stuff happening. Those people were being paid by you. Earned media. Request a vaccination special on Christian Broadcast Network featuring evangelical leaders. And I'm not too familiar with evangelical leaders, but if you are and they were promoting the vaccine last year, well, you probably paid for that. Request that the major live TV entertainment shows feature hosts being vaccinated on air. Example, the hosts of The Voice. Request that the TV morning and daytime talk shows feature special vaccination reunion moments with everyday Americans talking about what this means to them. Example, hugging grandma for the first time. Convene an editorial meeting with the publishers of Catholic newspapers and newsletters across the country. Example, America Magazine, Florida Catholic, The Catholic Spirit, The Tablet. So if you're familiar with any of those, and they promoted the vaccine to you, you paid for it. Dr. Biden interview with Chip and Joanna Gaines for Magnolia. Request vaccination specials with BET, The Undefeated, Desis and Miro, Sneaker Shopper, Hot Ones. You know, to appeal to fans of hip hop and black culture and professional sports. Request a vaccination special with Christian Broadcasting Netflix and evangelical leaders. Place a trusted messenger on the Joe Rogan show and Barstool Sports to promote vaccination. Work with outside expert to identify who will be the most effective. And I wonder if Joe Rogan and Stool Presidente knew that their shows would be hosting paid propaganda efforts by the government or if they were just useful idiots. It kind of doesn't matter, does it? Partnerships. Work with the NFL, NASCAR, MLB, 
CMA to request they create content with their talent and release through their broadcast and social channels. Also create a share the mic program where talent elevates public health voices. Work with all major sports leagues to send vaccination information to ticket holders. Work with ESPN for hosts to provide vaccination information. Partner with Disneyland Parks for vaccination events when the amusement parks reopen. Work with the Hollywood guilds to work vaccination messaging into scripted and reality TV shows. For example, the Writers Guild and Directors Guild. So I guess that's not speculation, is it? These records show a disturbing and massive campaign by the Biden administration to propagandize and politicize the controversial COVID vaccine, said Judicial Watch President Tom Fitton. It seems as if the entire entertainment industry was an agent for the government. And that is exactly what they were made into. And all of your favorite celebrities and athletes and musicians and actors and writers and directors and your reality show stars and your favorite people on the news and your religious leaders all took the money and sold the shot to you. You paid for it. And how is this allowed to continue without interference? Well, they went ahead and censored and banned anybody who might actually bring up these facts. I was getting in trouble on Instagram all the time for talking about this stuff in 2020. The blue check celebrities who followed me, who are getting paid to run these campaigns. Oh, they were very mad. I know this is all from 2021, but the program existed in 2020 as well. And it existed in the COVID relief packages. These programs were funded. The state of California was paying for them as well. I knew people who were going out and doing their little Instagram content, photos and videos about Black Lives Matter, photos and videos about mail-in voting and about how great it is to be able to turn your ballot in to a Mark Zuckerberg Dropbox. All of that was paid. These people weren't acting out of principle. They weren't telling you the truth about what they believed. They were being paid to relay a message and the dissension to that message was censored and banned. It's not a conspiracy. It's a system. And you can see the structure of the system. You know, the purpose of the system and you know, the results you watch these things happen in real time. I worked at a social media company that managed celebrity and brand social media. I knew exactly how this stuff worked at the time. And I said it and I was called a conspiracy theorist. My posts were shadow banned. Then my accounts were banned altogether. And no one with the normie mindset could possibly believe any of this was true. They're not taking taxpayer money and giving it to little communist influencers and making them useful idiots so that they can propagandize the American public. They would never do that. These are baseless claims. There's threadbare evidence that this is true, but nope, it was all true. And it actually would have mattered a great deal if people could have understood this and reacted to it when it mattered. Instead, these people all convinced their fans to go out and get an experimental gene therapy injected into them over and over and over again. And thousands of people have already died for that choice. And who knows how many more will in the future. These people can't even claim that they were following orders. 
They were just taking the money and running. They didn't care about the consequences. They thought any negative possible consequences were surely the result of disinformation and conspiracy theory because everyone substantiating those claims was censored and banned. And let's stay on the subject of censorship a little longer. This is from Robbie Starbuck, who had attempted to run for Congress in Tennessee. On Monday, he said that later in the week, he was going to be releasing a big story about the illegitimate U.S. government manipulating American elections. And here it is presented in a thread on Twitter. DHS coordinated with a group called the Election Integrity Partnership to censor Biden's opponents. I'm on the EIP's list with Charlie Kirk, Marjorie Taylor Greene, Donald Trump Jr., Jack Posobiec, and more. I was censored while I ran for Congress. Biden's regime paid EIP groups $12 million plus. For all of us, this was a gross violation of our rights and a blatantly illegal act by the U.S. government. In my specific case, this was state-sponsored election interference. In this thread, I'll explain who's involved and what they did. They crossed lines that can't be uncrossed. This is who makes up the EIP, the Election Integrity Partnership. Stanford Internet Observatory, University of Washington Center for an Informed Public, Atlantic Council's DFR Lab, analytics firm Graphica. Screenshots below show the grant money each of them received from the Biden administration. And these are the screenshots. The partners all received federal grants from the Biden administration in the next two years. The National Science Foundation awarded the Stanford and University of Washington projects $3 million in August 2021 to study ways to apply collaborative rapid response research to mitigate online disinformation. And remember, we're talking about the false reality here. Disinformation isn't information that's untrue. It's information that conflicts with the public acceptance of the central narrative. Graphica, also known as Octant Data, received its first listed federal grant several weeks after the 2020 election, nearly $3 million from the Department of Defense for unspecified, quote, research on cross-platform detection to counter malign influence, end quote. Nearly $2 million more followed in fall of 2021 for research on co-citation network mapping, which tracks sources that are cited together. Back to Robbie Starbucks' Twitter thread. The simplest way to explain the way the EIP works is to compare it to something you already know. You know how the CIA and DOD use contractors to fight battles they don't want to be seen fighting in an official capacity. That's essentially the EIP, but acting as a ministry of truth. How it worked. The DHS, the State Department, the DNC, Common Cause, and the NAACP would file tickets with the EIP on posts or people they wanted censored. The EIP did the dirty work of going to big tech. John Solomon Reports breaks it down perfectly in this piece, and he links the piece, the headline, from Just the News, and this is from September 30th, 2022, just a week ago. Outsourced censorship. Feds used private entity to target millions of social posts in 2020. So if you want to research further, you can find it by searching that headline. And this isn't the first time we've seen the government delegate 
the process of censorship to outside groups. I've discussed many times that in a Judicial Watch FOIA release last spring, May of 2021, an Instagram post featuring my face appeared in those FOIA documents. The Secretary of State's office in California, along with the National Association of Secretaries of State and the PR firm that represented the Biden campaign, SKD Knickerbocker, had a portal with the big tech companies so that they could show particular posts that they needed taken down, claiming that those posts were spreading disinformation about the election process in 2020. My claim was that the California Secretary of State's office had switched my voter registration to permanent mail-in ballot status without my permission. That is 100% true. And it was called disinformation and taken down. Back to Robbie Starbuck. That's how easy they made it. DHS, the DNC and others just filed a ticket with the EIP, who then acted as their messenger to demand big tech take action on the posts or people flagged by the United States government or the DNC. And their report shows big tech delivered for them. The EIP created what's been called an enemies list of a select group they branded as misinformation in need of censorship. I was one of them and have the distinction of being the only one who was running for Congress while the EIP worked to censor us on behalf of the government. And here's a list of some of the accounts. I'm sad I'm not on this list. Maybe I was already banned and removed by then. Real James Woods, Gateway Pundit, Donald Trump Jr., Real Donald Trump, Tom Fitton, Jack Posobiec, Cat Turd 2, Eric Trump, Chuck Colesto, Charlie Kirk, Mark Levin, CJ Truth, James O'Keefe, Praying Medic, who was just on this show a few weeks ago, Richard Grinnell, P.N. Jabon, I don't know who that is, Breitbart News, The Right Melissa, Mike Roman, Robbie Starbuck, Sean Hannity. Some context. I announced my run for Congress in November of 2020. The EIP operation lasted through 2021. That means that they worked to censor and malign a congressional candidate on behalf of the U.S. government and the Democratic Party. Sadly, they were successful. Let me explain. During the course of the EIP's communication with big tech, my accounts on Instagram and Twitter were put on a search ban, which remains to this day. And thousands wrote that Twitter made their accounts unfollow me. This was clear election interference and an in-kind donation to my opponents. Here's another great John Solomon reports piece that breaks this down in even more detail. They didn't just do it to me. They did it to MTG and other enemies of the Biden regime too. the damages for all of us and for our country are incalculable. And if you want to find that just the news article, the headline is federally backed censorship machine raises separation of powers election meddling questions. This is from this Monday, October 3rd, 2022. Back to Robbie Starbuck. This thread is already getting long, but if anyone really wants to get their wheels turning, look up each of the four groups that make up the EIP and you'll find the insidious ties they have to characters like George Soros. Soros, for example, is a donor to the Atlantic Council. Remember, this coordination, the grant money, the enemies list, the election interference and the people involved is what we know before discovery in any lawsuits. Imagine the facts after. Speaking of discovery, you know who else was on the list? My lawyer. My family came from Cuba, 
where Marxists have enemies lists to target and silence opponents they fear most. Economic ruin, a committee that removes candidates from ballots, fraudulent elections, and total control of media, academia, and culture. Sound familiar? This is the road to hell we're on forever if we don't stand up together to this modern-day communist regime masquerading as Democrats. The government crossed an unprecedented line by coordinating to censor Americans and interfere in an election to keep me out of Congress. Every move they made to stop me and others on the list was an attack on you, your vote, and our values as a nation. I haven't yet begun to fight these communists, and I suspect I'm not alone. These communists can delay the inevitable, but it's still inevitable. The people will win. This right here, this is why I do what I do the way that I do it. Because it is vitally important that we identify this for what it is at the earliest possible moment. And we spread that awareness around when it matters so that the public can react and thwart these efforts. We need to know this stuff is happening as soon as we can because it is so so dangerous and deleterious to everything our nation is meant to stand for. These people are the propagators of disinformation. They are the liars. They are the authoritarians, and they are devoutly committed to keeping the censorship regime in place because as soon as it's gone, everyone can know this stuff. And when everyone knows this stuff, when everyone understands that this is not a conspiracy theory, it is a system, that is when the system breaks down because this system requires the public to be kept in the dark about what it's actually doing in order for it to function. Full public awareness is an existential crisis to these people. It will be beautiful to witness. Let the meltdown commence. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic. And Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. If you're listening to this episode for free, you can support me and support the show and the work I do by signing up for a paid subscription at imyourmoderator.substack.com. You can do so for as low as $50 a year or $5 a month. Comes out to under a quarter per episode and you'll blast right through the paywall for all of the writing. The merch store is www.cancelcouture.com and you can find everything else by heading to Linktree. Linktree.com slash imyourmoderator. And I'll see you soon, out on the range. up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm your moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofi. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!